Hello, I'm Amanda Lynch-Foster, and welcome to another podcast from the Caribbean Development Bank, where we discuss the issues and ideas which can advance the region's development agenda. In this episode, we're going deeper on the issue of climate resilience. Climate change presents one of the most critical development challenges for the Caribbean, which is already one of the most climate-vulnerable regions in the world. During CDB's 51st annual meeting, a high-level panel of experts and leaders shared recommendations on how the Caribbean can continue to advance climate action, even amidst a global economy radically reshaped by the COVID-19 pandemic. The discussion came during our seminar entitled Climate Action in a Post-COVID-19 Environment. Our speakers included Grenada's Minister for Climate Resilience and the Environment, Senator the Honorable Simon Steele, Dominica's Minister of Public Works and the Digital Economy, Senator the Honorable Kasani Laville. Her Excellency Ambassador Fiona Clowder, the United Kingdom's Regional Ambassador for Latin America and the Caribbean for COP26, the United Nations Climate Change Conference. Ms. Maria Shaw Barragan, Director of Operations at the European Investment Bank. CDB's Vice President of Operations, Mr. Isaac Solomon. Our moderator was Dr. Colin Young. Executive Director of the Caribbean Community Climate Change Center. Before the discussion got underway, Professor Michael Taylor, co-director of the Climate Studies Group MONA of the University of the West Indies, set the context of what the region is facing when it comes to climate change in a presentation of findings from the State of the Caribbean Climate Report, the preparation of which was funded by CDB. The truth is that if we look over the last four years, climate has been sending a very clear message to us in the Caribbean region. So if we look on 2017, and we, we look on the fact that we had Irma, Maria, and Jose, three Category 5 storms that passed through the Caribbean within reach, we would have said, wow, that's unprecedented. But then 2019, if we look on Hurricane Dorian and how it sat unprecedented, in an unprecedented manner over the Caribbean, we would have said, wow. And then if we look on 2020 and the fact that we exhausted the, the, the alphabet of names, we said, wow, that was unprecedented. So climate has been sending some very clear messages to us. And if I'm just using the last four years to make the case, if I were to try to summarize those messages, I would summarize them as this. One, climate is saying that, listen, it is rendering our development pillars unreliable. All those things that we are relying on for economic development, tourism, agriculture, fisheries, mining, the productive sector, they simply cannot deliver development in a consistent manner in the kind of climate regime that we are seeing. Climate is rendering our development pillars unreliable. But I would also suggest that it's sending the message that it is making our development goals unattainable. Those 2030 goals that we're all going for, clean water, zero hunger, good health, reduced inequalities, peace and justice. When climate in one fell swoop wipes out the economy of a, of, of a nation, it is saying those goals will not be attained in the time frame you want them to be attained. Climate is making our development goals unattainable. And then thirdly, if those two are two messages, if climate is telling us, at least the climate we have seen, that accounting for climate is the only way to make our development agendas untouchable. Only if we account for climate can we make those development, development agendas untouchable by climate. But accounting for climate means we must have information. And in the Caribbean region, it means we must have information that at least has these four characteristics. It must be contextual about the Caribbean. It must be relevant about those development 
pillars and about those development goals, it must be at the scale of the Caribbean, especially the small island scale, and certainly it must be accessible. Well, let me introduce then the State of the Caribbean Climate Report, funded by the Caribbean Development Bank. It is a full report, just enough for your good bedtime reading. 11 chapters, 175 pages, 56 figures, 47 tables, 31 Caribbean climate authors, and produced by three Caribbean climate institutions. I am arguing that if we look on the climate science in this report, then at least five messages jump out at us that we all should know. Very quickly, let me tell you what those five messages are. Message number one, no doubt our climate is already changing. We must recognize it. So the truth is, this would come out of something like chapter three in this document, which looks on rainfall and temperature, because it looks on, first of all, setting what we call climatologies or how the climate should be behaving or how we are used to it be behaving, because that's the starting point. But then it also looks on the trends of the last 50 to 100 years, depending on data availability and what's really happening to the climate. This is also picked up in chapter four, which, which looks on sea level rise, droughts and floods and hurricanes, and chapter six, which looks on climate extremes. And across these chapters, we find things like this. In, in recent times, we, we now have 23 more hot days and nights since more than we had in 1950. Where do those 23 hot days and nights go? Well, summer is starting earlier and lasting longer. We also have a more variable rainfall pattern. One year we have a lot of rain, the next year we don't. And the character of rain is changing, longer dry spells. And then when it rains, it rains. Two major region-wide droughts in the last decade and multi-year at that as well. Rising sea levels such that the recent rate of rise is at nearly double the long-term rate of rise. And put it together, the climate science of the Caribbean is suggesting that we have a new multi-hazard climate era that is here. It's all of these things and it's unfamiliar. Climate message number one that we all should know from the climate science is no doubt, our climate is already changing. We must recognize it. What's climate message number two from the, the climate science captured in this document? It's simply this, no return. Our climate will continue to change. We must prepare for it. That would be picked up in something like chapter five, which looks at climate scenarios and projections. So it uses all of the latest science techniques done within the Caribbean, global models, regional models, statistical downscaling to get to the climate at a, at a community level. It looks on all the multiple variables, the rainfall, the temperature, the sea level, all those I spoke to. But then we use these models to project what will the Caribbean look like in the near term, 2020s, in the midterm, 2050s, and at the end of the century. That chapter gives us other insights, such as if it's a business as usual scenario, then by the end of the century, at we, up to 98% of our days will be hot, where hot is measured by current standards that summer all year round. We'll still have variable rain, so one year it will still be wet and the next dry, but we will vary about a lower mean, an average 40% drier across the Caribbean. We'll have more of the worst storms passing through the Caribbean, even if we don't have more storms. More droughts, that more of our time will be spent in drought and up to one meter of sea level rise. The truth is, the climate science is saying there's an unrecognizable climate that is coming. And this climate will, unrecognizable climate will come even at 1.5 degrees, which we are going after. A clear second message from climate science that we almost know.
no return. Our climate will continue to change. We must prepare for it. That third message that we all must know is this, no excuse. This isn't just a little weather thing that will come to pass. No excuse, our climate is changing our lives. We must contend with it. So I would pick that up, for example, in chapter seven of this document, this comprehensive review document, which looks on historical and projected impacts of climate change across nine sectors and five cross-cutting themes. So it looks on climate change in tourism, freshwater resources, energy, biodiversity, education, health, finance and insurance, infrastructure and human settlements, poverty, security, gender, development, and social structure. And some interesting things emerge as we begin to see that climate is in all of these areas, such as Caribbean life is extremely sensitive to climate variations. It's across all areas. That sensitivity that we have is being transformed into a vulnerability. And there's an expansion of those who are most vulnerable. So an expansion of the pool of people who fall in the most vulnerable, the poor, the elderly, the farmers. And then, interestingly, and perhaps significantly, new climate vulnerable groupings are emerging. Those are the outdoor workers who we haven't given thought to yet. The, the, the athletes, the biodiversity, the heritage sites which can't withstand that unprecedented climate to come, and of course, the future generation. The third climate message from the third message from climate science that we almost know: no excuse. Our climate is changing our lives. We must contend with it. That fourth message is a simple one, and I think you have heard it in the, in the preamble, in the introductory remarks that have already been given. No choice. Our climate demands change. We must tackle it. You would, for example, in this document find that in, in, in chapter eight, which says, if we have the information, how do we use it? So we, we, we look to the climate into the Caribbean Institute for Meteorology and Hydrology, who are pioneering climate services throughout this region so that we can act on climate change. Or, or the chapter 11, which gives a number of climate resources, including sea coral from the five seas. Uh, but, but it really is making the point that, listen, we have to pursue all options now. And we have to do them now. We have to pursue mitigation, which is reducing the greenhouse gas emissions. And in the Caribbean, that must be on the table. It must be on the table in, with respect to our renewable energy, our forestry, our ocean, our, how we deal with waste, and certainly with our transportation. That's how we in the Caribbean pursue mitigation. It certainly is saying that we must pursue adaptation, and it must be across all those sectors and thematic areas I spoke about earlier. We must pursue education convinced and convicted people change how they, they, they act. And then we have to pursue collaboration. We're too small to do it on our own individually. We must do it together. Put together, that's our pathway to resilience. Message number four from the climate science that we almost know, no choice. Our climate demands change, we must tackle it. If I were to summarize what I've just said, listen, I've told you four messages that emerge from the climate science that is captured in this document. Message number one, no doubt, our climate is already changing. We must recognize it. Message number two, no return. Our climate will continue to change. We must prepare for it. Message number three, no excuses. Our climate is changing our lives. We must contend with it. And message number four, no choice. Our climate demands that we change. We must tackle it. But I'm not a climate scientist who doesn't know how to count. I said five Caribbean climate science messages we all should know.
And the fifth message is really, if you forget all of these four messages, remember that one, because they all sum up to say, no regrets. Let's change the climate outlook for the Caribbean. And how will we do it? By accounting for it in the Caribbean. I encourage everyone at this seminar to think about climate change as a collective challenge that requires a collaborative and coordinated response. Our region includes many different countries with distinct cultures, institutions, and peoples. Yet, the challenges we face from climate change are quite similar. We can learn a great deal, a great deal from each other, support one another, and mount a response to this challenge that benefits all Caribbean countries. We are one Caribbean community. Just as we recently stepped up to support our family, our friends and family in St. Vincent and the Grenadines after the eruption of La Soufre, we must come together and ensure nobody is left behind in the fight against climate change, neither within our countries nor among the countries in our region. That was CDB Vice President Isaac Solomon you were hearing. His remarks right at the start of the seminar set the tone for what would emerge as the overriding theme coming out of the discussion. That for our small states in the Caribbean, collaboration between sectors and between countries is necessary for the region to be able to confront the coming climate reality. Responding to climate change requires a whole of society approach. It is not something that governments can do on their own nor is it something that governments can leave to the private sector to do themselves. Grenada's Minister for Climate Resilience and the Environment, Senator the Honorable Simon Steele, expanded on the CDB Vice President's call by outlining a framework for a whole-of-society approach. We have to do it together, and that is a theme that's, that's followed through all of these presentations in terms of the need for global collaboration. So in working together, and um, there are three broad approaches that I believe we as governments and policymakers can take in order to achieve um, what we need to achieve. The first is that we as governments have to take the lead and create a policy and regulatory environment that will facilitate climate action. And that also speaks to the comment about um, Maria made with regards to private sector investment. We have to put in place national climate change policies that build our resilience to climate change impacts, whether that's building resilience to the disastrous Category 5 hurricanes that we're now, we're now experiencing with increasing frequency, or whether it's the health impacts that are placing an increased burden on our national health systems. In Grenada, for example, we have in place a national climate change policy that is being implemented through a national adaptation plan with several resilience building initiatives and a nationally determined contribution that is targeted at reducing our greenhouse gas emissions by 40% below 1990 levels by 2030. These policies and regulatory frameworks developed in a transparent and inclusive manner incorporate input from all relevant stakeholders this is important in order to achieve national ownership and participation in the implementation of these frameworks. 
The second approach is to put in place an incentive framework that will encourage all sectors in society to play their part. That incentive framework will have to encourage and reward resilience building in incentives among the general population, whether through the, the adoption of appropriate building standards and practices or other such approaches. It will also have to provide rewards and benefits for investing in low emission technologies and reducing greenhouse gas emissions across our transport and energy sectors through a variety of methods that can include tax-related incentives, energy efficiency mandates, etc. Here in Grenada, we're piloting an incentive scheme through a project that we're implementing in collaboration with Antigua and Barbuda and Dominica. We look forward to the lessons learned and to bring it to scale on the basis of these results. The third area I want to speak to um, is the need for awareness raising among the general population to help them to understand climate change risks and vulnerabilities and how they can and should respond. This is critical to the success of the first two approaches mentioned. If the general public does not understand the risks and the options, they will not support the initiatives and participate in finding solutions. So in summary, we can contribute to scaling up climate action by putting in place an enabling environment that will encourage and incentivize climate action at every level in our society. I thank you. Thank you, Minister Steele. And I would like to ask uh, Minister Cassini-Lavelle for any reaction uh, to those responses from Minister Steele. Minister, you have the floor. Sure. Uh, thank you for the opportunity. Uh, I think one of the things that resonates particularly well with me um, is the, the collaboration, the discussion with the private sector and ensure that they're completely sensitized on the risks, the challenges and the opportunities. You're listening to Dominica's Minister of Public Works and the Digital Economy, Senator the Honorable Kasani Laville. Coming from a country which has had its own devastating experiences due to our changing climate, most recently in 2015 with Tropical Storm Erica and 2017 with Hurricane Maria, he shared how collaboration came to the fore in the aftermath of Maria. Because I particularly am coming directly from the private sector. And when I think back on the events, the event of Hurricane Maria and in the government's attempts to rebuild I remember certainly we actually added to a fleet of vehicles to assist the government with assessment of the, the tragedy, assessment of the event for various purposes, insurance, building back and so on. And um, when you had the World Bank, other agencies and so on in Dominica, the EU helping out, I mean, we as well, back then in my capacity as private sector, we actually needed to, to join the effort, join the fight, because I understood then clearly that we needed the, the government, the country, uh, to actually find, it, find its way, find its feet to, to achieve our, our restoration and our rebuilding efforts. So it's important that private sector understands the role completely, and um, that is exactly how it's through collaboration that they're going to get on board. 
And it is true that in the Caribbean region, the question of scale is particularly difficult because there are a number of small island states and, and the population per country is not that high. That was Maria Shahbaragan, Director of Operations at the European Investment Bank, a key partner to the region in investing in climate action and especially climate resilient infrastructure. She pointed out that to help bolster and achieve private sector buy-in, collaboration of another kind is needed, and that is regional collaboration. So here, what I would recommend is that sometimes a regional approach is what is going to be needed. And in that sense, that's why the Caribbean Development Bank it is very valuable because it has this regional approach and diversification when looking at, at projects. Because, and, and I'll finish with this, for the right projects, for projects that are well-designed and well-structured, finance is there. Finance is not an issue for the, for the projects that are well-prepared in the right regulatory environment and with a strong business case. To make all of this happen, finance is absolutely critical. You're hearing the voice now of Ambassador Fiona Clowder, the United Kingdom's Regional Ambassador for Latin America and the Caribbean for COP26, the United Nations Climate Conference, which is being hosted this year by the UK. She highlighted how international collaboration has been and will continue to be critical for Caribbean states in search of development financing to support their climate resilience efforts. And so that is about ensuring um, that both the donor countries, their commitments to the $100 billion that was previously promised, but it's also about mobilizing all the financial institutions and the private sector. And that's where the Caribbean Development Bank and the other multilateral development banks have such a valuable role to play. And also for business, it's about seeing both the risks and the threats, but also the opportunities that lie ahead in finding those transformative solutions to help address and live with climate change. And so in all of this, international collaboration is absolutely paramount. We have to do this together. We cannot do it alone. The world needs to come together. And that is where the Caribbean has such uh, an important uh, voice uh, in the future discussions on COP26.